0: There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This episode is brought to you by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.
2: I've right, talked Scott Sigler into coming up to my hotel room. <laughs> Shit's gonna get real, Scott. Um, all right. So first of all, thank you for coming up to my hotel room. Thank you. Appreciate uh, the chance to be on the podcast. I'm very excited. This is, well, you're the first author. Like, yeah. and I don't mean. I mean, other people have been on. you know have written books, but okay. you're the first pure strain of author who's, okay. who's been on. And yep. And for me, it's, it's pretty exciting. Right, let me go into airplane mode here. Okay. For me, it's incredibly exciting because, you know, I took on contributors for, the, for my website, um, I don't know, I guess like a month ago. And it was mainly just a way for me to, uh, I can't blog every day and I feel like stuff that I'm writing about is from a limited perspective and I want to kind of make the site more robust. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, all these people offered to contribute and uh, someone wrote and said, "Oh, I want to review books." And I was like, "You, you have to review books. I want the site to, I, I want you know, along with all the wiener jokes that I make on the <laughs> site, I want, I want some academic feel. I want it yes. to, I want the site to be literate, the literati. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, so Jessica Barton is the is the author, is the writer, and she's been um, she's been reviewing all these great books, mm-hmm. and it, it's opened me up to a lot of new stuff. And she. Yeah. One of the nicest things is that some of the authors that she's been writing about have started commenting in the threads, like you did. Yep, yep. And so, uh, and then so you and I kind of tweeted back and forth, and I said, this Scott Sigler guy is delightful. <laughs> we must get him on the podcast. <laughs> she, was, she, was, she wrote about Ancestor. Yeah, she did. The one that just came out uh, last week. And she loved it. Yes. And it. she must have read it in an hour, because I feel like it came out... On a Tuesday, and she had already, you know, she'd already put the the, the review up Wednesday. For, yeah, you know, to post Friday.
3: Yeah, and that seems to be a common thread with this one is that people are are sitting down and reading it in one go, which mm-hmm. is what you're always shooting for as an author. If I can, you know, destroy an evening's productivity and make you late to work the next day, well then I win. So that's how it works.
2: That's fantastic because I uh, now I have you know I don't normally read a lot of fiction because. I guess time it's, probably. It, it's it's time, and, and, and I, I've said this on the podcast before, but I, you know, I, I I'm 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 like a productivity is sort of my religion, I guess. Okay. And so I spend a lot of time like reading books about you know how to manage time and how to mm-hmm. how to move life elements around to mm-hmm. so that everything kind of works in, in synchrony. But um, but the idea of uh like uh, crazy sci-fi books uh, is very appealing to me. Very, very appealing.
3: Well, my kind of stuff, you know, especially if you are leaning more towards the science side. um, There's some, but not a lot of uh, authors who consider themselves horror authors who are using real hard science to to communicate the scares Mm -hmm. and to make it more believable and plausible and let you dive in further. So, uh, for people of that mindset, my stuff is uh, is really cool escapism. What's your background? Background is just journalism and marketing, but uh, the, the decision to go into journalism was touch and go with going into the sciences, mm-hmm. but since I was uh, lazy and writing was very easy, <laughs> I was like, this will be like stealing. They're going to pay me to write, so um, went into that in college and just generally uh, followed the sciences from a pop culture level, mm-hmm. and then... Uh, I've been giving away all my books as free podcasts for five years now.
2: I wanted to talk to you about that because that okay. is a, that's a fantastic model. Well, we well, we'll get to that in a sec. I want to find out. So when you when you what like what makes you decide to write your first book pitch and and what does your proposal look like and mm-hmm. you know what were the reject was there a rejection process oh. or did it's like what just walk us through that a little. Well, bit.
3: I, uh, I it was about fifteen years ago or maybe more that I'm like okay that's it I'm making the decision. I've always wanted to be a novelist, but I'm, I'm going for it. This is my life's aspiration. Mm-hmm. And spent um, 12 years going through the standard process that you've described, you know, writing the one-page pitch letter, going <laughs> to conventions, trying to talk to agents, trying to talk to publishers, pretty much spent probably six years where every vacation day was going to one mm-hmm. convention or another, trying to meet people, make connections, and stacked up a good hundred and twenty rejection letters
2: for all my books. Do those book conventions actually work, or is it sort Because of, in, the, in they the, can. they okay, can. Okay, that's good. Because in the in the in the in the entertainment in the acting world, you know, sometimes they'll have these uh, actors showcase yeah. and agents will show up, but it's kind of bullshit. Um,
3: it, sometimes they work in the book world. I got my first agent from one of those things from World Horror Convention in Niagara Falls, and part of the deal was you get to sit down with three agents, all of whom will read the first two chapters of your novel. Uh, And that wound up uh, shockingly landing me an agent and was with him for nine years and we didn't get anything published, but it certainly wasn't for lack of trying on his part. He worked really hard, but it was just not the right mix. He was more of a hard science fiction author, which is, you know, spaceships. Mm -hmm. And I don't write about spaceships, so we couldn't make the right connections. So yeah, they, they can work. And if you want to go to those things and work them, you can make connections. And a lot of times in publishing... It is about who you know, who was your roommate in college, right. You know who your mom knows. I mean, quite frankly, that's largely... what If your dad's a famous writer, those things make a significant difference, not only getting a publishing deal, but also um, you know how much promotion you get when you come out of the gate. But having none of those things, <laughs> <laughs> I had to find another way to do it, and after um, uh, 12 years of trying it, I had been... I just started giving away my books free as podcasts online, assuming... You know, understanding the internet culture a little bit, I'm like, well, if these things are free online. People will listen to them because why the hell not? They're free. Doesn't hurt nothing. And then if they like them, they'll start sending the links to those audio files via IM, chat rooms, etc. Okay. Post them on blogs, and then
2: uh, word of mouth. So spread. It was, so it wasn't so much exasperation. as like, oh fuck, I might as well just give this away. You were just you you actually thought, oh wait a minute, I actually see. And what what year was this that you decided? I started in 2005, March okay. 2005. Yeah, that's actually. That's actually I'm going to say that's that, that's ahead of the that's ahead of the curve. That that's that's yeah. that's ahead of Chris Anderson's free um, mm-hmm. uh, philosophy by a few years. That's, that actually beats radio heads In Rainbows by it, a couple of years. It does.
3: Yeah. And I mean it was before uh, I, before podcasts were even in iTunes. Yeah. And to figure out how to get a podcast back then was very confusing at least to me. I'm kind of a tech tart, so I'm figuring out how to do it but no, right off the bat when I saw podcasting I said, oh wow, uh, this is a great way to distribute serialized audiobooks just like they did of uh, the radio plays in the 40s and 50s. Went out looking for some to listen to when I couldn't find any. I was like, holy shit, nobody's done this yet. And then the marketing background kicked in. And I thought it was um, my initial thought was if I could get 10,000 people listening to my books. Um, New York publishing would be kicking in my door and beating me over the head with money to sign me. That didn't actually happen. So, did they <laughs> gently
2: caress you with money? <laughs>
3: they didn't do anything. Did they make love
2: I, to you in a blanket of money.
3: I got to ten thousand listeners, and they're like, w- w- "What's
2: the internet?" They, I mean, it was... <laughs> well, that's what you know, the funny thing is. Po- podcasts are, I, you know, I, I almost wish there was a different name than podcast because for yeah. some reason it's it just. It, it, I feel like the name doesn't doesn't really represent. How powerful of a medium I, I think it is because when yeah. you tell someone you have a podcast and they're like that's adorable did your mom drive you to that <laughs> you know but but really and as I've said before um, podcasts have the best audience like they, they go out of their way to listen mm-hmm. they're wonderful you know fans uh, and and I, and I feel like that the, the mainstream media I don't I'm not I'm still not sure that they've have even really started seeing it as as a really viable. Way to uh, to promote stuff. I, th- for,
3: by and large, they haven't. Shockingly, NPR gets podcasts and has been a cutting edge proponent of that and then uh, the other end of the spectrum is ESPN we well, to try to really kick this American
2: that. life off the top of the podcast <laughs> yeah, chart. It, is, it is impossible it's impossible. forever so um, fucking Ira Glass he's
3: yeah, crazy he's crazy I hear he's doing a lot of meth these days so I don't know tons, how his career is going to turn math. out
2: well that's how he's able to put up all those podcasts well, there you keep go. At the top that, he never fucking sleeps okay? listen I don't want to get sued for libelous uh, <laughs> or, or slanderous comments but I know for a fact that Ira Glass's blood is made of meth at this point <laughs> he is where he is flying across uh, the city.
3: But I, the biggest thing to me about true. podcasts, the time-delayed part of it, yeah. and people can go get it when they want. And then, you know, the, uh, the tribal or cliquish nature of, of the online world, as soon as you find a podcast that you dig, you kind of send it out to your buddies. And since it's all email, IM, blog post, etc., just things can spread so fast. So if you do something well and then do it consistently, which mm-hmm. is the other key, you've got to keep stuff coming out on a regular basis... Uh, you, can, you can rack up some pretty big numbers. But it's awesome because it's, you know, here I got free global distribution of all my audiobooks. Uh, I get to do exactly what I want. Nobody can control me or edit me. I give the whole thing away unabridged for free, mm-hmm. which I was, due to my print deal, I was able to get that in my contract. So mm-hmm. I'm you know, one of the few guys who can get away with it. But, you know, I've got, I've got fans all over the world who will never even see one of my books in their stores because I'm not in those markets yet. So it's, I love podcasts. It's amazing.
2: And so, uh, how long did it take you to get to 10,000?
3: Um, with EarthCore, uh, that was the first one I put out. It started in March of 2005. Uh, you know, like The first episode had three downloads, and, <laughs> and, and one was my mom. Nice job, honey. This is fascinating. I don't know how to listen to it, but anyway. Shut up, mom. To- Who do you know? <laughs> Who do you know? <laughs> email it, woman. Um, it took pr- pretty much by the end of that first book, so 24 episodes, um, it, it got up to the, to the 10,000 mark, and numbers have fluctuated higher and lower since then, but it was... I was putting out press releases that were getting picked up, you know, Technorati and other mm-hmm. instant online ser- services knowing that, hey, it shows up in your, uh, in your blog reader. There's a link click and in three seconds you're actually listening to me tell one of my stories. And within five minutes you know whether you like it or not.
2: And were you, and so was there any part of you that thought like, you know, well, what if they just kind of, what if they just take this on the audio part and then the book part? They're gonna, you know, was there any fear that you that they were gonna? Because I'm I'm sure this is this is what the big companies are like. Yeah, well, if they listen to it, they're not gonna read it with their eyes.
3: Um, it, my my agent told me, don't do it, just don't do it. It's gonna screw up your audio rights, and if you don't have audiobook rights, that'll screw up a print deal. Uh, and you know everybody in the industry is like, why on earth would you give it away for free? And I'm, I think um, I'm not entirely sure, but I think Cory Doctorow was already giving away free PDFs in 2005 mm-hmm. or at least 2006. He, he's way ahead of the curve on all this. And I was just like, I just completely ignored all of them. I'm Like, you guys cannot see the math. There's a half a billion people online. Most of them right now are speaking English. What's wrong with you? <laughs> how can you not? How can you not see that this is a great way to? Um, it's a great way to build up followers and build up an audience and if people if you get in front of enough people and you write good stuff mm-hmm. if they like your stuff a certain percentage of them are going to become diehard converts who want to buy everything that you put out right because we're i think everybody online nobody's upset about paying for stuff. We're all a bunch of nerds and if right. I'm gonna buy, you know, the Battlestar Galactic a bonus D V D set, I don't care what it costs. I'm buying that. Mm-hmm. I just wanna know that when I spend my money, I'm gonna get something that's worth my money. So that's to me is what giving away all my stuff online does. It shows people, Yeah, I'm I'm so good at what I do, I can give it to you for free and you'll still wind up paying for it because you want to. So that's kind of the mentality.
2: That's that's genius. I mean I, I, I have that um, I, I kinda have that back and forth thing with stand up all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm like, should I just should I just put the stand-up online for free? And I do a lot of it on the, you know, I do some of it on the live podcasts that <laughs> yeah. we do. But, but, uh, but stand-up. I mean, I guess it's as limited a resource as 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 a book. I mean, you know, you're not going to write a new book every week. Well, so. I would think
3: with what you do, and uh, you know, like like the bits you're doing for the Craig Ferguson, the the opening of the Craig Ferguson piece, you know, like the vagina amazing thing, like yeah. that, you know, little bits like that dropped into the feed. Uh, especially, you know, the 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 context of a specific joke or bit mm-hmm. a bit less like one or two minutes. You know, people are just going to email that stuff back and forth if they're not sending the links, they'll send the actual piece. Uh, I, I mean, if I was in your shoes, I would think that the more you give away, the more people are going to be willing to pay to come to your live shows because they want to see you and see those. Well, bits.
2: obviously, live show, and that's that's interesting. That's what I, that, that that's a good point too because live shows for a comedian, um, you know, obviously you can't perform if people don't show up. Right, so. Uh, do you, you do a lot of touring now mm-hmm. as, in terms of uh, live engagements?
3: Yeah, I'm uh, I'm on tour right now. I've just did um, nine cities in nine days, and I'm home for the 4th of July weekend, oh, and then right. I go back out. Yeah, so I got. Then I've got.
2: Like a fucking rock star. It's nine It's pretty cities. crazy.
3: Nine cities in nine days. Bus full of blowjobs. A lot of hotels. It's hard. Here I come, Topeka.
2: Life on the road is hard.
3: Um, and then I've got 10 more uh, when I go out again. So.
2: Uh, uh, so what are you doing in these on these
3: I just I go to a bookstore and I do a re- a short fifty minute reading for one of the books and then I largely go into a, a Q and because I got I've given away uh eight full free unabridged novels, three short story collections, and a bunch of other stuff online. So there's a lot of information my regular fans wanna come out and ask questions about how the universe works, how stories are inter mm-hmm. interlinked. So it's out there Get in the bookstore, meet the bookstore people, promote the current novel, which is Ancestor, and then talk about whatever they want. Then after an hour and a half, we all go to the bar and get pissed. So it's uh, <laughs> that's kind of the culture right now. And nine nine cities, nine days, and nine bars. So nine bars, time. nice. Yeah.
2: Well, that sort of reminds me. Um, do you know Jonathan Colton? Yep. Colton's a great guy. I, I love that guy, and he also did that. You know, he was like, "I'm going to give away a song a week," mm-hmm. and I can't remember how long he did it for, but it was an impressive it was amount was of like time. A year, I think, or something. Was it? Yeah. Was it an entire I think year? So yeah, it was genius mm-hmm. and you know now he you know he found the his audience found him and he found them and you know he plays you know big venues now and yeah. people yeah. Uh, people love well, him
3: there's just you know everybody's so friggin busy and everybody's got their own life and it, uh, the analogy i use is from the fiction world people like stephen king dean Koontz, and rice when they got signed it was a completely different universe you mm-hmm. had three channels plus pbs you had one movie in your movie theater. You had the daily newspaper and the radio, and, and that was it. And now, people's entertainment—you know, there's 500 channels. There's metroplexes, video games, which didn't even exist back then, are now the biggest entertainment industry in the world. And of course, that pesky thing called the internet. Right. So, um, fighting for people's attention to like, hey, I've got a really good product that would make you happy and you would enjoy it. Try it out is. Almost fucking impossible So if you give stuff away People are like Okay uh, I'll give this a shot It won't It's I don't waste any money I mean with your stuff I'll waste two, three minutes If I don't like them I won't listen anymore yep. And th- that's what lets you Make that connection With the audience Where they go This is the kind of stuff I've been looking for This makes me laugh
2: This is what I want To spend my money on It's interesting Because it's not really You know The entertainment business Has shifted in the last Ten Well Maybe 20 years 15 to 20 years And it's it's not a It's not a portal driven Business anymore mm-hmm. In the sense of you know AOL. It, well yeah well like in the old days you just had a you had one, like one or two troughs that you could go consume from mm-hmm. and now it's oh I can I can go anywhere pretty much and get any kind of entertainment and yeah you know do you feel that um uh, when you're uh, when you're giving a stuff away for free do, does it does it lose any value if someone's not even paying a penny for something could do they take it for granted because you know they didn't have to pay for
0: it
3: uh there there is some of that but you know, I I have two options when you think about it. I can either be in bookstores, and maybe I'm lucky enough to be placed in the front of the table or on an end cap for the two weeks that the book is out. Mm-hmm. Then it goes into the stacks and it's spine out amongst you know a ten thousand other books. Right. Even if I'm in the horror section, the science fiction section, there's literally thousands of books there. So the odds of someone uh, stumbling upon me are pretty minimal, if if non-existent. They're not just going to stumble on my book and read it maybe once in a great literally while literally
2: trip and fall and break their nose on the on the that's what you have book. to do I mean
3: if I could be in the store hitting people in the nose with the book and not get arrested for it that'd be good marketing well I'd... now
2: if you did that I would videotape it and yeah. put it on my YouTube. television show exactly. yeah, awesome. yeah yeah It'd yeah it yeah, amazing yeah, yeah.
3: but I mean that's one option the other option is give uh, if not yeah give everything away and then people find you that way because they're talking amongst themselves and they'll try because it's free and they don't have to get off their dead ass they can sit right. on their desk at work and they can listen they throw it on an iPod those they're driving around. So my audience reach by giving everything away is so much larger. I hit many thousands of people more. Out of those thousands of people who would have never otherwise heard of me, a certain percentage of them wind up buying stuff. So mm-hmm. that it's a overall, it's a positive. I think it could hurt somebody like a Stephen King if he's giving everything away for free, right? Because people will use that to, to prejudge. Ah, I've heard a story like this before. Stephen
2: King reading a uh, Pet Cemetery. Yeah. And then they buried Gage in the Pet cemetery. <laughs> That's the worst. That's not a good Stephen King. That's <laughs> not him. Also, uh, I really want him on the podcast, so if I if I do a voice of him, he's yep. probably going to be like, I'm not going on that <laughs> uh, he Might
3: Come on. He, he's, <laughs> he's really adept at all the new media stuff and has been for a really fucking King? long time. I am not. I've never met oh, him. okay. He's my, uh, kind of my idol. I've never met him, but he's been doing... Um, shit outside the mold for forever. Going back to the Mist LP, back way back. When. Well, I,
2: I got to tell you, uh, uh, when I when I was in high school, I was fifteen years old, and um, I was at uh, the where I lived in. I was living in Denver at the time, and there it was like the local swimming pool or whatever. And so there are all these other kids around. Trying to impress girls and live the Abercrombie and Fitch lifestyle that was, you know, soon to descend upon America. And uh, there I am in the corner, in the shade, covered in uh, SPF 50, (laughs) reading Pet Cemetery. I'm surprised anyone ever talked to me when I was 15
3: years Uh, old. My my best Stephen King um, nerding out story is that my mom was a big Stephen King fan, and that's how I got into it. So I would always, every Christmas, I would buy her Stephen King. And then I start would read I would read them before I wrap them up. So it was like I would do the mistake of opening up, read the first paragraph, be like, ah, screw it. I got to read this, and it was Silver Bullet. And, oh yeah. Uh, my mom thought I had discovered porn many years before I actually did uh-huh. because she would come walk in my room and I would hide something beneath the desk. <laughs> Hi, Mom. Uh, no, this is for you. Yeah. And then she's like, uh, what are you doing? Nothing. And I was reading her Christmas present. So, <laughs> yes. And, and SPF 90 is what I need. I'm very pale and
1: corpse-like.
2: <laughs> that's really funny. And, and weirdly enough, I refer to masturbation as reading my Christmas present. <laughs> so, I don't know if that's if that's just a weird coincidence. I guess every,
3: uh, it's a phase all boys go through. I mean everyone's
2: gotta read their Christmas present at a certain time. You get those urges. The worst part is when you're at sleep and then you read your Christmas present uh, you know in your dreams.
3: Ah uh, the worst part is when you have to go out a Christmas tree and unwrap it and oh wait, never mind. That's <laughs> that's, that's a t- different t- analogy, a,
2: sorry. An entirely different analogy. Um, so uh what's are your once you finish this tour what happens? Are you done with Ancestor completely? Do you have to? Do you start the next book? Have you already... Do you know what uh,
3: the next I, book The is? next book... The first book I wrote was Infected. And then I wrote Contagious. Those are in stores. And there's a third book to that trilogy called Pandemic. So that's me mm-hmm. being clever. It's mm-hmm. Infected. Oh, now it's Contagious. Oh, then it's a pandemic. The Born so, Ultimatum. It's crazy. Um, that will be... I'll start working on that August 1st. And that will hopefully be out Halloween 2011. Uh, and then going on from there. And then I have... Uh, those are through Crown, which is a subsidiary of Random House, mm-hmm. so getting to play in the big time a little bit is really fun. Then on the other side of things, my um, uh, I have an imprint called Dark Overlord Media, which okay. my uh, my business partner, A. Kovacs, and I put these books out ourselves. She's a huge fan of yours, by the way, so she'll be tickled with hearing her name on your podcast. But Kovacs, we put out, Kovacs,
2: Kovacs, Kovacs.
3: <laughs> there you go. We put out uh, these insane... Um, Book, series of books called The Rookie, which I say is Star Wars meets Any Given Sunday meets The Godfather. Well, I have a copy of that right here, they do. Scott. That's they a, do. a
2: professional kind of show or something.
3: And we put those out ourselves. We're able to do hardcover, load them up with all kinds of crazy nerd uh, color inserts with pictures of the aliens playing football and stuff. And it sounds far gayer than it actually
2: is. It's, no, this it's is actually
3: quite interesting.
2: This is awesome. These, uh, these awesome uh, kick-ass space helmets that are like it's like a cross, it's it's like a cross between a space helmet and a football helmet yep. and they've got crazy alien uh, stuff on the side. But
3: well, we're pretty hardcore with uh, making uh, aliens that are uh, biologically sound and, you know, are not just people with bumps on their noses. And then the positions of it are based on, you know, you have to have the gigantic creatures playing line and the incredibly fast creatures creatures playing receiver and defensive back. And then largely the football and the teamwork becomes a metaphor for how sports overcomes racism, mm-hmm. at least in America. I've heard in Europe it's not doing so well, but <laughs> First, first black person I ever saw was on a football field. So I grew up in an all white community. So um, this series is young adult, and it's kind of using uh, future sports as a metaphor for um, how sports overcomes racism. And it's just super freaking cool. to no, no, A no, lot no. of nerds saying I never liked football till I read this, and now I understand it.
2: So. I will read it. I mean, I, I'm not. I'm an idiot when it comes to. I mean, I don't understand sports very yep. well. Like it's, it's just like it's mystical. It is. It's, it is mystical because you know it's a situation where people are rooting, and they're like, that's my team. And I'm like, you're just sitting there getting fat on hot wings. That's not really your team. Which is team. glorious,
3: don't get me Listen, wrong. There's
2: nothing wrong with that. Beers and hot
3: wings and a bunch of other fat people around you is a good time. I mean, you're going to want to go, you can't really take credit for the people who
2: train every day and devote their lives. It's just, it's very, um, it's a real throwback to our tribal
3: instincts. And, you know, you've got you've got your colors in your team, and you've got something to cheer for, and it's a, it's a pretty good time. But I specifically wrote this because... Um, I'm half jock, half nerd, and it's a very strange uh, grouping. <laughs> and I had so many of my my nerd friends who would look down on football, and I'm like, you guys have no idea of the computational requirements of a quarterback and what they have to – the math they have to do in their head in three seconds while someone is trying to kill them is pretty significant. So I kind of wrote this book so you're following the main character along, and in, in the process you're learning about football, and uh, an enormous amount of nerds have read this and go – I like it now. I never understood that you actually had to think to play football. But I'm interested, you
2: do. I'm interested. I mean <laughs> I, you know, I was I played I played chess in school, so for me, I I heard that on one of the so, guys. So yeah. So for me just uh, just the idea of the strategy of, you know, moving a bunch of if I could dehumanize them and see them as pieces then maybe it, would, maybe it would make more sense in my head.
3: Here's the random chess analogy. So an Ancestor, uh, chess is an ongoing metaphor for the, the plot developing. Mm-hmm. And um, I like to play chess, I'm just not very good at it. I got a nerdy internet guy email this morning. Um, Loved your book, it was awesome. However, I'm sure you know by now that a knight cannot block a rook from putting something in check. And I'm just like, oh, for God's (laughs) sakes. There's no way you can control all the details in a book. But I I saw that one. I'm like, yeah, I probably should have known that. But now it's in print, so all the chess
2: people will think I'm an idiot
3: when they read my book.
2: Now, I played tournament chess, and I I have to be honest. I I would like to pretend like I know everything. I'm not familiar with that rule that a knight cannot uh, block a rook from from putting something in check.
3: Uh, Because it goes over, apparently, and not through
2: so, oh, okay, okay, yeah. interesting, interesting. Yeah, I saw I it this s- morning. I was, I was, uh,
3: I was embarrassed—not that embarrassed because uh, you know I don't play a great deal of chess. I, I embarrassed. I'm
2: embarrassed for not knowing that because I there mean I played tournaments, tournaments yeah. for years, and I don't, I don't ever. And I, I have your
3: seal of approval on on
2: my mistake. Yeah, I don't. I mean, yes, of course. As the host, it'd be very easy for me to be like, "How could you not know that?" But I got to be honest. <laughs> I don't want you to feel bad because I, you know, I I can't play chess anymore though. It's too intense for me now. Like I can't. You get the sweats, shakes. Well, you know when 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 you when you do something as a kid, it, it's in, in my in, it's embedded into my skull. It's so competitive mm-hmm. that I can't sit down without like, okay, I need to think twelve moves ahead for every pe. Like it yeah. hurts my head to play anymore. I can't just play for the fun of it. Well, and I've tried.
3: I'm the same way with any kind of pickup sport that I play at all. There's no such thing as playing for fun. You are trying to kill the other guy, and that's just the way
2: it is. There was one funny. Uh, uh, Jim Belushi takes a lot of shit from the comedy community. Does it? There, yes, he does. There was an amazing sketch that he did on SNL 25 years ago where he was a Bobby Knight-style chess coach.
3: Oh, I saw that shit. That was, he was awesome. Knight
2: like, to rook 4! Jesus Christ! He was kicking over chairs. <laughs> that was a phenomenal sketch. That
3: was pretty good. That was, he, I think he also did the Run, Throw, and Catch Like a Girl Olympics, too, which was another <laughs> another great
2: sketch. <laughs> he, was, he was awesome back then. If only we could dig that up somehow on a web of it's information. Probably
3: on some site that shows tube
2: videos. Maybe. I don't know. I, you're talking, okay, future man. <laughs> you know, but 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 the, the the point of view, like what I what I what I get from you, which I think is, is fascinating, is that when you say you're a science fiction writer, it's really a bold face on the science. Yeah. That it's yeah. not it's not so much sci-fi. It's like science that happens to be fictional.
3: It's um uh, all of my the, the books that are in stores anyways because we sell the rookie and the that series ourselves off the website, but the books that are in stores, it's all modern day people like like you and me and it's in the current setting with current political climate. And there's just some insane sci-fi biology backdrop to the whole story. Mm-hmm. So it is, um, which is part of the problem I had getting published in the first place. Like, well, you're not horror because you're not writing about vampires and you're not science fiction because it's not in a spaceship. And you're not a thriller because people are getting dismembered and blood splatters everywhere. Yeah. So um, I, they didn't know what shelf to put me on. So it, these are largely, uh, they're, they're thriller novels. They're paced like a James Cameron movie. They're meant to have a gigantic cinematic finish at the end. And but they are you know they're modern day and the hard science scared a lot of people away. There's not a biological hypothetical section in the uh, no no <laughs> the book. surprisingly so there, it's there's criminal there's not you know um, biological mutants with real genuine hard science and <laughs> technically we can actually do all of this we just haven't yet sectioned that's so not... do
2: you do you uh, do you actually sit down with the, with scientists oh yeah
3: oh uh, well that with the, with the podcast by giving everything away the the, the two things I never saw coming was. All of the feedback I would get from fans pointing out my mistakes. Oh, yeah. Which, uh, nor, you know, a lot of times it's annoying, but a lot of times it's like, yeah, a helicopter doesn't start that way. That's wrong. Like, How the how the fuck would I ever know that? I don't fly helicopters. <laughs> so it's turned out to be great, particularly in the military and, and weaponry areas. I've now got people that read, four or five people that read the book cover to cover before it comes out to make sure I have all that stuff right. And then I've got uh, three biology PhDs who are fans who emailed me out of the blue to say... I like what you're doing. If you need any help with this stuff, I'd be happy to read your books for you beforehand. So I have, I call myself the only peer-reviewed horror author out there. These guys read it from cover to cover. They point out stuff that's incorrect. They make suggestions for other, like, we just discovered this yesterday. you got to put this crap in there. So um, it makes it really hard to write a book because that stuff screws up my outline and I have to change it. But at the end of the day now, I'm to the point where, you know, guys who do this stuff for a living can read the books and really enjoy them because everything is is as accurate as you can get it. While remembering, I'm still telling an over-the-top thriller story. So the story goes first, the science is second. But it's it's real science, and if you know anything, even pop culture science, uh, it be, it feels very real and very plausible to you. So when you get to the crazy parts of the dismemberments, and etc., you are totally in and
2: you allow yourself to be scared. So you don't start a helicopter with a hand crank? That's you not do not.
3: That's not how that works? Okay. You, you do not. And you also can't run and jump into one like you would like a horse in the Old West. You really? Can't, you, you can't, can't, can't slide do
2: that. across the front? Like if your helicopter yeah. were painted like the General Lee... You couldn't <laughs> slide across the little snub nose yep. of the helicopter, yep. there's and there's no there's and,
3: no Starsky and Hutch old school starting wait, wait, up wait, in the wait, car. Wayne
2: Jennings wouldn't go, "Them do boys is flying overhead <laughs> and You wouldn't get that.
3: <laughs> you would not get that. You would not get that. But, All right. Uh, so,
2: well, clearly, clearly, what we've learned today is that I can't write about helicopters. Yep. Um, but I, and, and again, and I know you you made this point, but I think it is a very important point that as a, as an author, as much as you can. Keep people in in the world, and since your world is you know as much reality as possible, mm-hmm. that uh, all those details are really important. They they're
3: super important because I mean you can't get everything right, and sometimes you have to take liberties. But you know if if some girl's been over in Iraq and has been shot at and put in a tour over there, and then she's trying to read this book and enjoy it, and you don't you know you get little things like unit insignia wrong, or you have the wrong part of Iraq, or you don't even know how a Uzi operates, which mm-hmm. is something I got wrong that the girl fixed for me mm-hmm. you don't know how newsy operates it just immediately takes them out of the story so even though it's a small percentage of the people are reading your book um they know that you just didn't bother to go online and basically learn how something works you didn't take five minutes to show respect to what they do and it's it's in all disciplines all over so all of those things are little landmines that remind people oh i'm not in a story i'm reading you know, some jackass's
2: book and and um the fil- films do it all the time instead of instead of making instead of sucking you into a world. The way that they get around that that shortcut is mm-hmm. uh, is when you're in a movie and then someone goes, "This isn't a movie," you know. Well, nothing I, takes me out of a film faster than this is not a movie. The,
3: the, the, that's why I'm really happy that people are reading the book in, in one go, mm-hmm. and that that's my goal when I start to write stories. I want to cover, I want to sweat the details, put in the wrench time, make everything as accurate as I possibly can, so that. They forget their reading and they realize it's four o'clock in the morning and they finish the book like I've done with Stephen King books many times. I'm like, how the fuck did it get to be five a.m.? What
2: happened? Well, that's what that's what happened when Jessica reviewed your book. She said she couldn't put it down, and then mm-hmm. people in the comments section were like, "I had the same experience," yeah. you know. So, It's pretty cool. <laughs> that is that is amazing.
3: <laughs> that's my nerd life. Was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty lovely. yeah.
2: Um, but I want to. I also want to talk a little bit about your writing process because, um, uh, well, selfishly, I, I sold a book. Cool. And uh, uh, but it's a it's a nonfiction book, mm-hmm. and so then I sold it, and you know I did the proposal. I had to like revamp the proposal like three times, and so I finally I finally sold it, and uh, and then I had this immediate anxiety of oh I hadn't really thought through that I had to, was going to have to write this. It was just more in the I got so excited about the mm-hmm. idea of selling a book, and then I did. So now I'm stuck with the now I'm stuck with I have to write it. So yes. what is your What's your process? Do you use software? Are you all notebooks? How do you organize okay. your outlines? Like what, how, do you, how do you write?
3: Well, I use a, a program for the Mac called Scrivener. Uh huh, I know Scrivener. Scrivener's. Uh, is, that the, is that Mariner software? I'm not sure. No, okay. it's, a, it's something in latte. It's a coffee name for the software. Okay. But Scrivener is only like 30, 40 bucks, and it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. It's got good folder structure, outline. It makes a fake corkboard with 3x5 cards. Um, no matter how you like setting stuff up, it lets you set it up. I mean, I use it uh, for a folder for each chapter and then you can write documents inside and move everything around and, and reshuffle. So it's very helpful for that. Um, and then I, I have to take my four or five scientific concepts I'm trying to convey in the book, put together an outline, then I, I spend weeks or a month or so on the outline, then I start writing the first draft. And for me being fiction, it's a pain in the ass because pretty soon the characters stop doing the things I want them to do. <laughs> My characters are pretty good at saying, yeah, I'm not going to the haunted house alone at night. Not going to do that. So then I butcher through the first draft and then I have to re-outline and redraft. And usually by the third draft, that's when it gets turned over to the scientific community and they tear it apart from there. And then for me, there's always... I kind of describe my books as a satanic Seinfeld episode. So there's four or five different plot threads that seem completely unrelated. Then you get to the end and like, oh, I see how this all connects now. So everything has to line up. So every time I change one thing, it's a house of cards that knocks down everything else. And I have to just keep rewriting until I get it right. And now I have um, help from you know the editors at Crown mm-hmm. who are, are good at, they're interesting people. Because they they're think they like, well, I can't write a novel, but I can tear the crap out of yours. And they're, right. <laughs> they're very good at tearing the crap out of it. Uh, and then it just... Rewrite, rewrite, rewrite till you get it done. That's kind of how it works in the fish world. I mean, what is yours about?
2: Um, mine is sort of a uh, it's it's kind of a productivity book. Oh, okay. Um, just you know, I was initially pitching it as self help, and that means a lot something a lot different when you're talking to publishers. And they're like, "Self help? Oh, well, you're, yeah. you're not really a doctor." And I'm like, "No, but <laughs> I was a fuck up for a long time when I was younger, <laughs> and then I managed to turn that around somehow." Mm-hmm. And so I kind of want to. You know, my, my, I have this idea that um, <clears throat> the, ner- the nerd brain is very specific. Like, it's a group of people that I refer to as creative obsessives. Like, nerds okay. are able to focus on something almost to an unnatural degree. And so the idea of the book is, you know, just trying to, just kind of walking people through steps for, you know, here's how you can kind of refocus some of that hmm. into constructive areas to sort of fix things or get things that you might want to get done uh, in, in your yeah. life.
3: I mean, if I had if I had it to do over again, I would go back and write nonfiction. Then I would start blogging about something, become an expert on it, and then write nonfiction. And those books sell like
2: crazy. Well, well nonfiction is relatively measurable. I mean, like yeah. you can you know you can try some things out, and then okay, this is what I did, and these are the steps, and this is how. But you know, when you're writing fiction, it's it's almost it, it, it's almost uh, const- it's almost restrictive because you can literally write about anything, and mm-hmm. and when you have that. It's, you sort of, it's like going to the internet and just kind of staring at Google and like, what
3: do I want to learn today? I'm going to follow, or the one I just will never get, stumble upon. I'm bored, I'm going to start stumbling through random links. And see. So you're like, really? You? How can this be so popular? Who's got time to go, I got nothing to do. I'm going to stumble some shit.
2: Oh, lots of people have time. Oh, oh. lots of people have time. I've, I've been through some small towns where it's like, these are the people that have time. You know, you, you go to a town that just has, you know, the, the, the advent of the, um, of that uh, sort of ubiquitous strip mall that we all see now—that's yep. got the—it's got the Applebee's in it, and maybe a Barnes and Noble, and a you know a Walmart mm-hmm. and, and whatever. Those little clusters, you know, even uh, 20 years ago, those weren't really like. I don't know what people did in those towns at that point. Before. I, I
3: grew up in one of those towns. Where'd you mean? grow up? I grew up in Sheboygan, Michigan. Sheboygan. Sheboygan, Michigan, and uh, we had one movie theater a few and like i think we had three stoplights so i mean it was there was not a lot going on <laughs> thank goodness uh, being the uh, raging nerd that i am we had dungeons and dragons and champions and uh, me and my buddies instead of going out drinking which that was all there was to do in Sheboygan. unless it was deer season mm-hmm. Deer season combined with drinking made for good fun times. Yes, yeah, uh, wear, wear accidental orange. Deaths. Yeah, you know, no big deal. Make sure there's an orange collar on your dog because it's going to get shot. That sure, was t- sure. But we, uh, yeah, I mean, there was there was nothing to do, and yeah, we it's wound up broke all Sort of,
2: it just unfortunately overlapped with dress your dog like a deer day.
3: <laughs> so, a terrible
2: idea. Uh, c- c- come Council. here, come
3: here, Mookie. I got you some fake antlers. pow. Uh, we had um, we would lose people every year in hunting season and then in ice fishing season. Because that, of course, another thing that you drink heavily at, and then the um, ice fishing roulette, where people would see how long they could stay out on the ice okay. <laughs> as it started to break up. Did you, have, do you have
2: one of those little outhouse huts.
3: Yep. Yep. Outhouse huts. Drill a hole in the ice, drop a line through it, and get pissed drunk. That was uh, that was entertainment. Did you ever catch anything? No. No. Okay. I, I no. Well, I I wasn't really. You know, I'm like, um, you guys. This is a large sheet of frozen water and you're going to sit out on it for a long time and then drink, uh, you know, hypothermia, you're going to freeze to death. So wasn't too big into that.
2: Knew the fish were circling underneath getting plowed just watching the people. <laughs> it's like there. fish TV. But we would, it was a, It
3: was an amazing place to grow up because we would have our missing persons reports and if their truck was also missing, then you knew they, they, the truck had fallen through the ice oh, too late in the season. And they were just gone and... Sad and uh it was, that's the way it was in Sheboygan
2: now when you're playing d and d uh on the ice yeah uh what uh, what type of characters did you did you tend to go? For?
3: I immediately started being the game master like right off the bat and i, I honestly attribute a lot of my storytelling ability to DM, the dm endless hours of dming and then uh we got away from Dungeons and dragons because it was as, uh, this is this is as, as geeky as it gets as a storyteller it was too restrictive I couldn't. I couldn't have continuing plot threads and every recurring villains coming back. It just—I was like, I can't tell a story of this crap. So we moved into a superhero role-playing game called Champions, which we we played for years, and I had you know, ridiculous notebooks of source material. And would just, uh, I was able to keep seven or eight high-strung teenage boys riveted all the time. Boy, does, they it, does riveted. it get
2: any nerdier than you know the, these games? Because when D&D first got popular, then there was an, there was this, this explosion of... Boot Hill was another one, which yep. was the Western. I can't remember what the Space one was called.
3: Space Hero, I'm afraid. Was space okay. Hero. Space Hero, and uh, that was
2: one of them. Good. ahead. But, but I was thinking, does it get any nerdier than... Fantasy meets math <laughs> you you've know, nope. got like you've got your, you've got your, your you've, you've got your fantasy part and then your probability
3: uh there there is nothing nerdier than it and i think it's di- i think it's dead now because it was you you being able to be an adventurer pretend to be something else, and now you can do that in, you know halo right. blows anything completely out of the water right but it was uh, it was as nerdy as nerdy gets but i I just from square one I would spend hours off off game writing plots and coming up with storylines and and characters and trying to find ways to push people's buttons so that they would, you know, lose themselves in the story and get a big thrill out of it. Um, So it was, it was fantastic on-the-job training. And then from there, I started to write for the game companies. I'm a fairly arrogant guy. And oh, I would nice. be like, these books suck. I can do better than this. And I would write them letters say, these suck. I was the original internet guy. <laughs> your, your stories are retarded. And they were like, fine, why don't you write one? I'm like, fine. And I did. And then I, I wrote a couple of gaming books. And then that, that's what got me into uh, writing novels and shit. That's
2: fantastic. So it actually this is a case where nerd arrogance actually paid off. It did. Yeah. I think I think every nerd kind of has that cuz you know when sometimes when nerds write you um th- th- it's more it's they're more kind of stretching their creative writing uh wings than anything else <laughs> like they go out of their way to to try to uh flay you as eloquently as possible rather than yeah. just saying like you suck
3: balls. It's uh, sometimes I think of it it's it's uh People who shouldn't have an audience their one chance to have an audience. You know, they yeah. they can start a flame war. They can come out uh, something. It's very it's very exciting as a writer to to write something and have other people respond to it. And uh, sadly, a lot of times that's what uh, the the people are doing. Like, I I'm yeah, gonna get attention.
2: I get um, people are people are generally very nice to me uh, on the you know on email, Twitter, or whatever. Mm-hmm you know every once in a while i do i do get some really some shitty as you do you know as you do yeah, i know uh, yeah but uh but i got i got one i got an email that was so like it just it felt like it had been flash fried in sarcasm <laughs> I mean, it was just like And on your podcast, why don't you do this more? Because that's amazing. (laughs) But uh, so at the same time, I was, I was, my ego was bruised by it. You know, so I wrote the guy and I was like, well, you know, thanks for your feedback. Here's why I do all this stuff and I'm not trying to bum you out. And here, you know, Mm -hmm. and he wrote back and he actually apologized and I wrote back to him and I was like, totally cool. um, But uh, just so you know, I hope that whatever you're doing in life involves writing because... (laughs) <laughs> as, as brutal as your email was, it was actually pretty well written. So I hope that, you know. You... You're an elo- eloquent asshole. Thank you, sir. By the way, much. please, I'm not. this is not a call for people to send me emails that are Long, yes. brutal. Exposition,
3: I think, right. is what he's
2: looking for. You are a sack of failure crap. No, please.
3: Oh, <laughs> well, I've had to get used to it because when I started out with a podcast, part of my goal was, uh, you know, everyone who reached out to me was going to get replied to all the time. So
2: if they, oh, well, you want to do that, and then after a while,
3: after a while, well, you know, I, I, my Twitter followers, I try to do the math on what small percentage of mine yours are, and like, I don't know how you can even manage that many. Uh, you can't. You just you, the, one point three million people follow. But it's so. not.
2: But it's not. Um, you know, of that percentage, you know, like there's, I'm sure there are spam bots, and of that percentage, All there right. are people who signed on and never used the service again. Still, I mean, it's, it's it's
3: impressive. It's but impressive.
2: I, I do get a lot of I do get a lot of replies, but. Um, you know not not every one of them necessarily warrants some kind of response and i, I, do, do, I do i do i do try i do try I, I,
3: when i that was kind of what helped build my fan base at first was every i had a voicemail line every voicemail line got played i respond every blog pump people tweeting both uh, this before twitter but people out there blogging about me i go on their blog and respond and i had a really hard time uh, getting used to those kind of, of of emails and then when the first book came out I was such an amateur at, at this game that I was responding to people's comments. Every review on Amazon, I was responding to it, which, like Gary Vaynerchuk does. Uh-huh. But Gary Vaynerchuk's the master of a wide variety. He's just a completely different animal. I wasn't as nice as Gary Vaynerchuk was. I was like, I worked on this book for 10 years, so suck my cock, you I didn't, But it was. I had a tough time getting used to the fact that there was going to be a, this... Uh, vehement diatribes against what you do because no matter what you do, somebody out there doesn't like it. So well, I've had to get used to that, like you, and, and just not you know always that negative. But it's also it's also,
2: I mean, I guess maybe because if you're involved in a creative field, I don't know if this is true for you, but for me, you're kind of harder on yourself than oh, most yeah. people are. So when someone kind of when someone attacks you you instantly go, oh, my God, fuck, they're right, you know, because you just you just feel like, well, the, the house of cars is going to topple now. It, and, and, yeah. and so – but then when you – I think what's hard is that when people write really negative stuff, you don't know if it's authentic or, or if they're just having a bad day. I mean, sometimes people have written stuff when I've been like, oh, I'm sorry you feel this way, and they go, ah, I just broke up with my girlfriend. I'm sorry. <laughs> and you were just the catalyst that just sort of made everything yeah. bubble over at that moment.
3: Um, uh, yeah. I'm I'm very very hard on myself, and that's been getting used to them. Like you put so much effort into these things, and the ones that would bother me, the ones that they they clearly hadn't read the book. Like like <laughs> I get a lot of negative reviews that that pick things apart. I'm like you know that that's incredibly valid. Per- I mean that's if I had, if you had told me that before, I would have fixed X Y and Z. Then you get the ones where people just they literally haven't read it. They've read ten pages. Oh, you're a misogynist. You hate women, and you've got stories about killer cops. No, none of these things are true. Finish the book and see how the heroine pulls it out at the end. So those I had a tough time responding to. Now I'm I'm better at ignoring it because I have to be because I'm like I'm you know, very hard on myself or, or like like Ozzy was in your your Ozzy interview. You know, he's like yes. Yeah, People who try and aspire to a higher higher level are usually very very hard on themselves. What an amazing
2: guy he was. That man. was I, cool, I, dude.
3: Was. I'm sorry. That was I was listening to that at the gym the other day. I'm like, that's oh fuck, that's fucking cool. You he, get
2: to sit down with Ozzy. That's awesome. I know, and and you know, I mean, of course, I'm very familiar with Black Sabbath, and you know, but I'm not. I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with Ozzy solo work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like uh, all the kids when I was in grade school had the Ozzy thing on their on their fingers, <laughs> and Bark at the Moon was a huge video, and it and whatever, but. I'm not I'm not really a metalhead like, like yeah. some people, so my questions were more from a you know, I, I'm very really <laughs> curious to know how your brain works rather than Ozzy, oh, what was it like when you were playing Wembley? <laughs> like I didn't have any of those questions. And and it was fascinating because he's such a he's such a contemplative guy and he's so He's genuinely grateful, A, to be alive, yeah. and B, that yeah. he's still able to do, you know, what he's been doing for all these years.
3: He just, that was a really fun interview to listen to because he clearly has his priorities in the right place when he's right. talking about, yeah, they're not privileged to see me, I'm privileged to see the fans, And which he's not, resonated. he's not,
2: he really, you, you can, I was sitting in front of him, he genuinely means it. Like, mm-hmm. it's not something
3: that he just kind of says. And, uh, I don't, did you see his viral video for Scream? Have you seen this? One? No, 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 no. Oh my God, it, He's got really smart people around him, I'm sure. I don't know if this was his idea, but it was at the, um, the Wax Museum. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, I did, did see, you see that. that. Oh, my yeah. God, that was, that was great. You're like, this guy's been in the game for 40 years before any of the new media came around, and he's just uh, he's just got the magic touch. He's like, "Well, I'll go do this," and now I've got five million views on YouTube. It's It's, a, it's,
2: it's a pretty. It was a pretty genius, and and you could pretty much only be Ozzy to make, <laughs> to make that work. Guys, if you, if you for anyone listening, just Google Ozzy and Wax Museum. Uh, it's 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 a it's a terrific video.
3: Or Joan Rivers could get away with that too.
2: <laughs> Joan Rivers, she, like, she, she could pull that off no problem. Because I'm sure you remember, <laughs> well, this wax figure won't shut the fuck up about why does this wax figure keep asking? Me if we can talk. I don't understand <laughs> why it won't stop. Stab it! Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's not wax. It's made of ash. <laughs> and, and dark magic. Uh, not a fan.
3: <laughs> I she's, was- a, she's hysterical. Her stand-ups uh, going back are hysterical. I just I can't get into the shows where your whole career is ridiculing and ripping on what someone wears. It's just like that shit dry- I want to I wanna jab forks in my ears. I'm like, there's a whole channel dedicated to insulting what someone wears to an award show? Really? I, I hate that. I yeah, hate that I mean,
2: you know, it's it's, it's I, I, I don't love it, but I understand it because as a performer, the longer you're in this business, I, I feel like one of the things we always try to do if you're a writer, you're an actor or a stand-up or whatever, there's always a thing in the back of your head where you're just trying to find what your point of view is. You're trying to find what your voice is and you're trying to figure out what you want to say. hmm and then you know, I'm sure Joan Rivers. They hire her as well. She's this sassy comedian who tells it like it is. <laughs> and then she gets into the clothes thing, and it, all of a sudden it works for her. There's there's almost something Darwinian that happens where you're like, where they kind of realize this she's getting a paycheck, yeah. Right. Or or maybe maybe it's it's not as Darwinian and it's more. Um, it's more Pavlovian, where it's like, oh, I'm getting rewarded for this behavior, and so I'll just
3: keep doing this behavior. Well, she's um, she, she's definitely no dummy, and she gets paid for it, but you're just yeah. like, Oof, well, that's a tough... It's not a tough way to make a living, it's just, do something constructive and... I mean, you're fucking Joan Rivers, you've been in the comedy game forever, This is, and this is what you got, is
2: insulting people all the time? I just imagine that she's sitting in a chair like uh, Catherine Hellman in Brazil, <laughs> where they're just stretching her face back around in the back of her head. <laughs>
3: That's a little crazy, and then her daughter—you know—the mother-daughter insult team—that's kind of nutty. But I'm glad—I'm—I'm I'm glad they're working.
2: Yeah, I—I uh, I, got—I got trashed by Melissa Rivers once. For, Did you really? Yeah, it was actually to the for, to, when I went to the premiere of uh, House of a Thousand Corpses. Um, what what were you wearing? A, a sock on your cock or something like that? Knocking
3: <laughs> out your Chili Peppers fandom? No, oh, I was I? A
2: lo- I was I was I was chunkier then because I was still on the booze, so I'm, I would not have been naked in public. <laughs> but uh, no, it was just I was just it was just like a black suit and like black sneakers. Yep. And like a th- it was a it was a thin tie, like I. But I, but it was a thin tie, to kind of slightly before like oh, everyone wow. was like oh thin ties, and so she went through the. Uh, she kind of went through this play-by-play on, a, on, on the video with, like, circling stuff, like, and what's going on here? <laughs> oh, and so uh, after that, I kind of realized if, if like, because I was trying to figure out, like, what purpose Melissa Rivers served, and so I kind of thought, you know, if Joan Rivers were a buffalo, Melissa would be the only part the Native Americans would not do with. <laughs> She's so, like, I instantly was like, what the fuck is your problem? I'm a dude wearing a black suit. Oh, my
3: God. How did I that feel when you're watching TV and you're watching someone completely critique? It's like being in the third grade again. you getting made fun of because you're the kid with the Kmart t-shirt.
2: I'll tell you exactly how it felt. And this is because honest as I can be about it, it was bittersweet because at the time I wasn't working as much. And so I was like, oh, I'm on TV. Someone's talking about me. So that fucking immature part of my brain is stimulated okay. but then at the same time it's like oh but she's shitting on me so it was this kind of like eh aww kind of a feeling uh, and by okay. the way she was wrong she was way fucking wrong what I was wearing was awesome
3: uh, well skinny, the the skinny tie rocking rock and the skinny tie it's breakfast club all over again let's get this done And hey, I was dressed like I was
2: in the hives come on man cool yeah. band cool band cool band um, but uh, a cool band at the time so, yeah. cool still a cool band still a cool band I love the hives but uh, what, what, what music do you like? What music do you listen to? I am a metal head. I'm large, metalhead. I'm like, largely oh I I love Ozzy and I've
3: been listening um, to a lot uh, heavier music like none of you've heard of these guys Killswitch Engage, Trivium, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Bullet for My Valentine's a big one right now. Yep, All That Remains. I got to go see All That Remains, Lacuna Coil, and um, Maylene and the Sons of Destruction or Sons okay. of Disaster. I never remember because the concert hall was like two blocks from my apartment here in San Francisco, so. That's the kind of stuff I listen to. That and then a crapload of uh, Sinatra is the other big thing. <laughs> yeah.
2: Who was uh, who was metal for his time? He
3: was as metal as metal gets. And I'm, that's like one of my whenever I'm listening to Sinatra and tweeting, I'm like, "Fuck was Sinatra metal? He was so metal, you bitches don't know." And tweet. And uh, he was he was he was. I mean, if he was alive today, he would be. You know, he'd be biting the heads off chickens and uh, throwing blood on the audience. He just maybe not that regard, but he was. He was so fucking cool. So that stuff, and then um, uh, I, you know, I can't get away from the Christina Aguilera because of the the pipes are just you can sit and listen to that all day. And yes, I like Lady Gaga too. So metal and uh, crazy dressing
2: chick pop. Now, I don't. I don't know much about. Uh, you know, people people that I've taught you. I had this conversation about Lady Gaga with Andy Richter, where yeah. I was like, yeah, I just don't. I just not. I just don't understand. And he's like, I know, but. For the type of music that it is, it's well done. And the more I see of her, the more I respect just this kind of path, this this kind of... Mega theatrical path that she's taken and creating this whole you know well, insane persona. There's two things with it's her fascinating as a writer.
3: It there's two things. It's like 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 Ozzy said on your interview. It's it's it, it's all about a melody, and she writes crazy hooks that you can't get out of your head. And the songs, I don't care what kind of music you like, the songs are just flat out catchy. That's all there is to it. And then uh, the whole visual train wreck that is going on. On the few videos of hers that I've seen, you're like, I I don't know what's... I can't look away. What's happening? <laughs> She's wearing sunglasses that are smoking. I don't...
2: Do you think maybe you might want to uh, start touring as some kind of Gary Glitter-style author? I, uh,
3: I, I have given that some thought, you know, it's but uh doing something to to cut through and get some kind of attention I don't know not not quite to that I'm not going to be like David Bowie let's get androgynous with this (laughs) Mm, shit Bowie yeah my voice doesn't quite fit into androgyny which if you ever listen anybody listening to my podcast has heard my female voices and they are absolutely atrocious (laughs) like you sound you sound like a drunk transvestite on there I'm like thank you very much but uh do you do the character voices I do all I do all the character voices fantastic I do yeah I'm like we're over like 150 characters by this time so now see I'm torn
2: because I want to I actually want to read the book but I also now I want to hear your characterizations of the book as well, well. they're all free
3: online so you can uh, you can go dig into them yeah
2: where and so is it is it to scottsigler.com or do you have yeah, a
3: scottsigler.com is where I go um you know, kind of do my thing. And, and also the weekly podcasts are posted there. Mm -hmm. So right now we're in the middle of ancestors. So anybody listening to this can go to scottsigler.com hear the first four or five episodes of ancestor and see if they dig it. And we give that away every week. So that's how I stretch it out for 24, 30 weeks, five months or so. And uh, if you can sit and wait for the rest of the story, more power to you. It's all free. You get every word. If you get caught up in it, got to find out what happens. Well, then hopefully you go out and buy the book. And then all the back stuff is is archived at a place called podiobooks.com, which mm-hmm. is P-O-D-I-O-Books.com. And that's where I've got seven full-length, unabridged free novels
2: and a bunch of short story collections. So. What's your recording setup like now? Uh, right
3: now I have a, a 4x4 booth. I actually have a sound booth that I stumbled into. Uh, got it for free. And um, an RE20 mic, mm-hmm. which is... They're like, this is what they use in NPR. I'm like, okay. So uh, that that is... Lovely, and then I record, and basically it all goes into a, a Mac Pro tower.
2: they give you the kind of uh, the vocal compression that they get in a, I've got like, a... Yo, everyone's voice sounds bassy and rich.
3: I think it's a Voice Master Platinum Pro, I think is what it is. And I have to use that because uh, I started out recording in my closet in San Francisco, and we're right on top of a very busy street. So all the traffic noise... I had to find an insane noise gate and compression. Otherwise, it sounded like that all the time. And now uh, the new place I'm at, it's the same problem. So that's pretty much yeah, it. it. It's, it's amazing.
2: Just so- We're actually recording in San Francisco right now, and it's I've not heard... Any of the sirens that you would normally hear.
3: At the the W Hotel 20 stories up, it's slightly different than in my my tiny one-bedroom apartment, one floor above three lanes of nonstop 24-hour traffic. I'm just saying, that's a slight...
2: (laughs) If you're an audiophile, that's a slight difference. They brought me um, cookies last night. They brought me cookies. Did they? Oh,
3: that's badass. Well, they
2: brought me cookies the night before, but they weren't for me. So this guy comes to the door, and he's got cookies and milk, and he was like... Mr. Brown, I have cookies for you. I'm not. By the way, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to racial stereotype. I'm just trying to imitate how the guy sounded. Okay. You can. You can peg whatever ethnicity you thought he was. But he's like, Mr. Brown, I have cookies for you, and he hands me this note for Mr. Brown, and I'm a fucking idiot, so I go, I'm not. I'm not brown. And then he kind of walked away, sort of dejected. And as soon as I closed the door, I was like, Why did I just pass up three cookies? And so the next day I, t- I told them at the hotel, I was like, oh, this crazy thing happened. And they were like, ah. we'll send you up some. So ah, I actually, go. Did, actually did get my delicious cookies and milk good. after all. good. Um, that that story was just about me. That had nothing to do with you, Scott. I'm that, sorry. That's okay, but I'm gonna have to get
3: cookies later today. So
2: <laughs> that'll that'll be good. So are you gonna, are you gonna branch out into into other media? What are you? Is it? What, what are you looking to do? Well, I've been doing a lot more video stuff
3: lately. I'm trying to get more video out. Uh, you know, watching a lot of the successful vidcasts like mm-hmm. you know, Callie Lewis and, and and other shows, Leo Laporte shows like that. And I mean, there's. Blogging and audio are one level and then if you get a successful vidcast and people get to recognize your face that's another level and then the next level up is TV mm-hmm. and eventually to get to get to the TV level because you know the thing you realize is people who have been on TV or have, are on TV right now their exposure is just so much bigger you know the, the internet's a big place and you can do really well and get a lot of followers there But there's just something
2: about about TV, it's difficult to compete.
3: And that's what I've come to, the realization I've come to is you can't compete. So, my grand business model is besides publishing my own books and putting out books through Random House, I've got cool books in stores. If I can find a way to get, uh, you know, get a, get in front of more people on a bigger brand name, I'm hoping the back end is a lot more people going to stores to to buy those books and enjoy them.
2: So. Now, why hasn't a book like The Rookie, for instance, been made into a movie yet? I mean, like fucking aliens playing football, like what what could be better in a movie than that?
3: It's I think largely what it comes down to now is it its brand name and how many books have you sold? Mm-hmm. So if you've written, you know. Um, the Lovely Bones, and 7 million people have read your book, well, it doesn't really matter what kind of movie it's going to be. It's going to get made into a movie. Not
2: as good alien, uh, Not as alien CG good. and, and The Lovely as Bones.
3: Um, so I'm, I'm in the process of getting trying to get these things adapted, and I have a new movie guy now who's getting... We're getting no's from some really big time players,
2: which is really exciting. <laughs> that's actually that's actually a, an interesting way to put it. When you start getting rejected higher up the chain, yep. You can, in, in a weird sort of way, you can spin that into an optimistic kind of a, well, I, I made it to that level to get rejected.
3: Yeah. It's uh, similar to my philosophy with the books. I'm like, I don't care if I get a no, I just want to know I'm getting a fair shot. Like mm. If I get a shot at the big time and then I don't sell enough books or I don't get the publishing deal, well, that's okay because I, I had my chance. I can't sit there and... and Crying my milk and say, "Oh, nobody ever gave me a chance. I could have been a contender. I had a shot at it. It didn't pan out. I'm okay with that." So for the last four years, I've had a couple of different movie representatives who have not gone out hunting. Because for a guy like me, I don't have a big enough name that the doors are being kicked in by Spielberg. Uh, you gotta have a guy who goes out hunting. So the new guy is right. hunting, and we're getting a lot of rejection. So shit's happening it just hasn't broken through yet so i'm really excited about that
2: i wish it happened that way where spielberg would just fucking kick your door It'd be in awesome. just to, like a shirt like rippling chest spielberg i chest.
3: would want him holding ripley's flamethrower from aliens like, <laughs> and he kicks the door in and he just stands there and I'm like nice tank top but he's, st- he's still
2: very soft spoken i am Steven spielberg <laughs> everybody like make your movie <laughs> uh, by the way can wish can i can i just can i just say for a second on a slightly related note uh, i just watched alien resurrection again <laughs> You didn't like it?
3: Uh, that's the one where she's cloned from a drop of her own blood. Come on! Oh my god, the science in that the 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 science in that one made my nut shrivel up and hide in my chest. I'm like, are you? So you clone her from a single drop of blood, yet she has all of her memories and personality. Except now she's six foot eight, and the uh, the parasite that was in her chest is now suddenly back in her chest somehow. Combining its DNA into the single cell of her blood, I lost it. I I, I was having a very difficult time a very, with that.
2: That's a very interesting take. I suspended my disbelief for all Ugh. of that, and I all, like all I could think was, "Oh, crazy high alien hybrid human Ripley." I I uh,
3: that it, that had Ron Perlman in it, and which went a long way to making it awesome. But the the science in that just it was like it was like. Being gang raped by anti nerds, it made I was very upset because I put a lot of super hard biology in my stuff, and it was for, how do you screw up aliens? Like there was Alien masterpiece, Aliens in my opinion the best movie ever made. I'm a junkie for that thing. Mm-hmm. Then <laughs> Aliens three, this still see how angry I get for this. You're very this angry is my this is my nerd down my sleeve. I get you have Newt. You have Newt in Aliens. Her whole culture, family, everything has been slaughtered. She's been terrorized by these things. If you want another strong female franchise character, there's Newt. Five movies out of Newt, no problem. And they kill her in her sleep for Aliens 3. I was like, as a storyteller, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Okay, kill the soldier. He had like acid holes in his heart and crap like that. Fine. But you kill this girl who is a masterpiece of a character as you could watch her grow and become this awesome hunter. Justifies going out and going after them. Way better than Buffy or anything like that. This would have been awesome. Killer in a Sleep, and then that, you know, the, the, the afterbirth that was Aliens 3, and then we get to Aliens Resurrection. I was very
2: upset. I, I, I have, this, was a, this was a powerful vein. I'm, <laughs> I'm very excited about it. I wish I brought this up sooner. I actually have my, uh, I bought a Nostromo patch that they have. Oh, in did their you? Jackets. Yeah, yeah, that's I, I, okay. I,
3: I have, a, I have a, a Battlestar Galactica Pegasus patch for mine, so <laughs> equal. Equal and, uh, and nerd dumb, I admit it.
2: What I got you to do is that I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna start this uh, social network for nerds and uh, I'm gonna have everyone make a nerd collage where they basically just put as all their nerdy stuff into a corner and then just <laughs> take a picture of it. I, ha- I have to make you I have to get you to make a nerd collage.
3: Uh, Be happy to do that. Be happy a to nerd join in
2: for us. Uh, well, I, I think that's pretty much that's that's our hour. Like almost right. exactly our hour. Uh, Scott, thank you so much for coming up to the hotel. Scott Sigler, uh, uh, um, uh, infected, contagious, the rookie, um, ancestor, which is now. the one that's just that's just yep. come out. That uh, Je- oh, would you just please uh, give a, a message to uh, Jessica Barton, who uh, who who hooked this all up uh, inadvertently. Yeah. Yep. So if you just want to say something, really, uh,
3: uh, Jessica, thank you so much for doing the review. Uh, beers are on me. They would have been on me anyways, but just because you. <laughs> Thank you for writing about ancestor. Now I have an excuse for it. Uh, it was really cool to see, and now I've got on this uh, this great podcast, and this has been a thrilling experience.
2: Sloppy kisses, everyone. Scott, thank you so much. I, I'm so fascinated you, by your process and uh, everything that you, you've accomplished, and I'm, I'm now now I'm a fan of you personally. I'm really excited to see uh, what kind of what kind of. Uh, literary alchemy you can stir up in the coming years <laughs> well, give,
3: give him a shot and a new, uh, hope a new franchise new fan <sighs> fiction i i i wanted to write the screenplay for aliens 3 so at a young age i was very upset i'm still i'm still pissed about that you know but what? i hope you enjoyed the
2: reads we're, we're going to hug this out. <laughs> the end
1: now leaving nerdist.com